The Midnight Myth Podcast presents The Wheel of Ka, an exploration into the writings of Stephen King. What started as two friends rereading The Dark Tower has turned into an exploration of Stephen King's writing writ large. This episode, Steve and I discuss the first book in the Bill Hodges trilogy, Mr. Mercedes. Standing there in the lobby amid the guidebook-toting retirees and junior high school mouth-breathers, Brady thinks, I wish Frankie was alive. If he was, I'd take him to the show. He'd be just stupid enough to like it. I'd even let him bring Sammy the fire truck. The thought fills him with deep and completely authentic sadness that often comes to him when he thinks about Frankie. Maybe I ought to just kill the fat ex-cop and myself and then call it a career. Rubbing at his temples where one of his headaches has begun to gather, and now there's no mom to ease it. Brady wanders across the lobby and into the Harlow Floyd Art Gallery where a large hanging banner announces that June is Manet month. He doesn't know exactly who Manet is, probably another old frog painter like Van Gogh, but some of the pictures are great. He doesn't care much for the still lifes, why in God's name would you want to spend time painting a melon? But some of the other ones are possessed of an almost feral violence. One shows a dead matador. Brady looks at it for nearly five minutes with his hands clasped behind him, ignoring the people who jostle by or peer over his shoulder for a look. The matador isn't mangled or anything, but the blood oozing from beneath his left shoulder looks more real than the blood in all the violent movies Brady has ever seen and he's seen plenty. It calms him and clears him. And when he finally walks on, he thinks, there has to be a way to do this. On the spur of the moment, he hooks into the gift shop and buys a bunch of round here shit. When he comes out 10 minutes later, carrying a bag with, I had a Mac attack printed on the side, he again glances down the hallway leading to the Mingo. Just two nights from now, that hallway will become a cattle chute filled with laughing, pushing, crazily excited girls, most accompanied by long-suffering parents. And from this angle, he can see that the far right-hand side of the corridor has been sectioned off from the rest by velvet ropes. At the head of the sequestered mini-corridor is another sign on a chrome stand. Brady reads it and thinks, Oh my God. Oh my God. Fellow travelers on the path of the beam, Wheel of Ka is back with another episode. And it feels like we just wrapped. So with Soon, misery right we did we just wrapped with misery <laughs> and here we are i know it's been longer than just wrap but here we are talking about mr mercedes and i gotta say uh, one of the best decisions i think we made for the podcast was while we were still scheduling uh misery we started mr mercedes we did which allowed us to get through it a little quicker mm-hmm. than normal mm-hmm. which allows us to podcast a little quicker than normal mm-hmm. And I think as long as life allows that, that's a good format. Yeah, I agree. Because let's face agree. it, you all want more Wheel of Ka. I, I mean, I, I, no, I do. I know I do. I do. Everyone wants more <laughs> Wheel of Ka. It's, it is, 
It's the only place where you can go, only place. It is a place where you can go and get sweet Stephen King content. It is the place. It's the place, not <laughs> the only place. Really excited. We're talking Mr. Mercedes. Oh, yeah. We're doing the Bill Hodges trilogy. We are. There's a ton of stuff for us to get into, but Steve, man, hit me with, you know, last episode, I forgot to do this. And it's I, the first time Ever. And I don't want to do it again. Steve, man, how you feeling? Oh, great. I feel great. Um, I just came from a diabetes education course because a month ago, it's funny, you know what? It's funny you mentioned that now because I was like, I'm going to talk about this at the last podcast, but you're right. We didn't. Well, it had been, listen, it had been a while. We were a little off our rhythm. Life got in the way. We're going we're gonna to forgive ourselves for that one. We'll give ourselves some grace. We'll give that grace. But for this, no, I feel good. I get, came from a diabetes education course because about a month ago, actually a month ago tomorrow, I was uh, diagnosed with type 2 diabetes at 36. So a big, big eye-opener. I mean, uh, to be completely honest, it was, it was more of a situation of like when, not if, based on my family history. Um, but with my own Frankie... Um, you know, it was a big eye-opener. It was time to, time to make some changes so that it's something that I think I can manage and my doctors are confident that we can manage. Um, and I think in the long run, it will be for the better. So uh, typically, as a uh, clinically depressed person, I could have let this, <laughs> although I did for the first 48 hours, allow this to just like gnaw at my brain. But I, I've, I've come um, in, in my slightly older age to, uh, to have some acceptance and excuse me, instead of, you know, instead of living in the weird emotional pain of it in the beginning, it's like, hey, let's just take the steps and and right this ship immediately, you know? I think that's really, like, awesome of you to share. Yeah. <clears throat> and I, I really appreciate that, and I really appreciate the journey you've been on mm -hmm. for both physical and mental, well, men, physical and mental wellness, as a friend of yours mm -hmm. who also works with you, yep, yep. I get to see a lot of you. And <laughs> I get to see a lot of that journey. This is true. And in many ways, I think old school Steve could have been, this is the worst time of my life. Oh, absolutely. And you have embraced this oh. as, hey, this is objectively a good time of my life that I have a health problem I yeah. need to get better at. Well, I want to live a long time, man. I got There's a lot of life to live and there's a lot of things to do. you know, And I don't want something like, you know, something that can be managed, um, take me down like that. You know? Dude, appreciate you sharing that. And I'll share with you guys all, I just got diagnosed with, I don't have high blood pressure, mm -hmm. but I'm on the cusp. Yeah, you're almost there. And the doctor was just like, there are things you need to change yeah. to fix this. Yeah. So I think it's a very different thing from finding out you're diabetic. So I'm not saying we're in the same boat. Hey, man. But I, I get where you're coming from, where you're like, of okay. Course. Of course, it's a it's it's a health change no matter what. Listen, we're Big or small. We're right outside of Philadelphia, and we're in the den of the most delicious unhealthy food. Yeah, in we're America. in the kingdom of sandwiches. Sandwiches, you know, cheesesteaks, you name it. And I was my doctor recommended I see a dietitian, and I'm like, mm -hmm. so dietitian, what about <laughs> cheesesteaks? And by the way, if you are listening to this, you're like, what's a cheesesteak? You might know it as a Philly cheesesteak. However, when you live in Philly... It's just a cheesesteak. They're just cheesesteaks or sometimes steak. 
Yeah, if yeah, it's just a, it's just it's just if you're anywhere else and they call it a Philly cheesesteak, it's probably not good. And don't get it. Yeah, don't. If Avoid they call it, it a cheesesteak, it's probably it. good. So I asked, hey, what about cheesesteaks? And the dietitian laughed and said, <laughs> That's on you, dude. That gets you way off plan. And I'm like, like, listen, you can make the that's the but the beauty of being an adult is that I can make those decisions for myself. And and vice versa, you can make those decisions for yourself. But I do think it's good, you know. I, I think, um, like I said, there's there's too much in this life that I want to do and, and things that I want to make and things that I want to see with my family that I think some some minor and some major changes in a positive way or positive light is a good thing. Yeah, I totally agree with that, dude. You know, I totally agree with that. And I commend you. And thank you for sharing. No, you know me. You're an open book. You asked how I was. You know, when... I think we said this before, but the first time we did this, I said, Steve, how are you feeling? I expected him to be good and move Great. on. Next. And it's turned into a whole segment of the show, which is how Steve feeling. Yeah, hey, that's, that's, you know, I, I love mean, that's it. how it is. Well, how right. about you? I am feeling great. I am ready to go here yeah, with, let's do it. with this Mr. Mercedes. Let's talk about it. There are definitely some things I should talk about before then. So one, check out our original show from me and my wife, Laurel, The Midnight Myth, mm -hmm. where we analyze, dissect, and discuss pop culture from the lens of history, mythology, and philosophy. Without that podcast, there'd be no Midnight Myth. Uh, I'm sorry, there'd be no Wheel of Ka. Correct. And Wheel of Ka is still published on the Midnight Myth feed and its own feed. My wife has her own podcast, Sleep and Sorcery, which is about originally written fantasy, folklore, and mythology-themed sleep stories for adults. So if you have trouble sleeping and you like myth, fantasy, folklore, and want to listen to my wife's very soothing voice as you fall asleep, please tune into Sleep and Sorcery, which her hardcover book mm. for the Sleep and Sorcery originally stories is out. I'm looking at a copy right now. It's very good. And if you want to order that, you can. The, the soft copy. Soft copy? No. Paper, soft cover? Paperback. paperback. The paperback is not out quite <laughs> yet. So if you want to save some money and get paperback, you can pre-order that now. And Steve, anything going on? Any updates on your other pods? Oh, on Mythic Thunderloot? Well, yes. Yes. I believe that episodes and music are being worked on currently. So we have the second half of the first season. Um, it is a D and D podcast musical. So if you like Dungeons and Dragons, you like, uh, weed jokes, <laughs> you like musicals, you like rock music. Uh, it, it will be for you. It's all original music. It's three songs per episode. Um, it's everything's original. It's all, all uh, a story handwritten, uh, with a team of, I believe there's five of us in terms of actors. And there's also a production team, which are made up of the actors and, and other folks as well. Uh, and you can find that on every social media platform as well. And there will be, uh, there was just an episode released, I believe, last month. It was like a precursor, a little, uh, a little prologue with a new character that you get to meet. And I do believe that the second half of the first season should be coming out in 2024. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Fuck. Yeah. 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 I hope so. That's amazing. That, that's all I know I right can't now. wait. I love that podcast. All right. So, Mr. Mercedes. Holy shit. Let's, uh, let's first do just a, a quick recap. This is the story of a serial killer named Brady who drives a Mercedes into a group of people as they're waiting at a job fair. And then the retired cop, Bill Hodges, gets reignited, reignited, reinvigorated by yeah. going after the case after Brady mails him a letter. In this, Bill ends up meeting uh, 
Janie, the sister of Olivia, who was the woman who owned the Mercedes, mm -hmm. they have a romantic relationship. And then from that, he meets Holly. And I'm doing a terrible job recapping this. Long story short, there is a horrible crime and Bill Hodges is on it. In it, he meets a whole cast of characters, mm -hmm. some of which come to help him, starting with Janie, who's the sister of the woman who owns the Mercedes. She sadly gets blown up by Brady. And then from there, he ends up working with Jerome, his uh, high school student who comes and helps cut his grass, mm -hmm. who knows computers, and Janie's niece, Holly, who seems to be, and I don't want to diagnose, diagnose Holly, but... On the spectrum, mm -hmm. she is definitely someone with special needs and has some mental issues who really kind of grows up and comes into her own as a co-investigator. Mm -hmm. And this culminates with Brady wanting to blow up the stadium, the stadium, the theater, the venue. Yeah, the art center. The art center that has the boy band playing. And then the crucial moment, Bill has a heart attack. Holly ends up smacking Brady with a sock full of quarters and pennies and ball bearings and whatnot, Ugh. knocks him into a coma and they prevent the mass destruction. And in the end, you get the sense that the three of them might need to work more on more crimes. And then Brady wakes up. And then Brady wakes Brady up. Brady wakes up. Absolutely. Ugh, that's sick fuck. All right, so kicking off here, really crude, simple recap of a, of a 600-page novel. Um, Steve, where does this book kind of fall in the Stephen King canon? When did he write it? Yeah. Et cetera. Yeah. So this was written, it was published uh, on June 3rd, 2014. So not too long ago, decade ago. Uh, he, Stephen King himself calls it his first quote, hard boiled detective book. So it's his very first detective novel. Uh, it is, as we mentioned, the first book in a trilogy. Uh, it was followed in 2015 very closely by Finders Keepers. Uh, the first draft, which was finished around the time of Mr. Mercedes, was published. So he had actually, he had written Mr. Mercedes and then Finders Keepers pretty much at the same time. Mm -hmm. Which... We've started reading that, and we'll talk about a little bit of that later. That makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. And then in 2016, End of Watch is the third book uh, in this series. Um, the novel won a 2015 Edgar Award for Best Novel for Mystery Writers of America and a Goodreads Choice Award as well. Um, so, you know, it, it, it had really positive reception, pretty typical for Stephen King, um, especially around this time. Most of the critics responded well, um, you know, very different from his, quote, standard horror stories, created a very compelling crime novel. Uh, it, it got really rave reviews, you know, and, and it was turned into um, a television show, which is on Hulu, Apple Plus. I'm watching it on Peacock. 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 I forget which original, um, I where it started, who, who, but who that, started it. And I only have Peacock because my son loves the Trolls movies. And oh, we have Peacock sick. because of The Office and, okay. and uh, Parks and Rec. Oh, well, then you should watch the troll movie with uh, your daughter. I will. The second troll movie is only on Peacock, so we got it, and that's where Mr. Mercedes is. And so Laurel and I are now watching the Mr. Mercedes TV yeah. show. So you know, like it, right it, in the middle. It got good reception. I mean, it, it, it's not known as one of his, you know, like, premier books. Um, 
Where I uh, will save that for later, where I put it in the ranking. Yeah. Should we save that for the end? Yeah, let's do that at the yeah, end. We'll save that for but the But that's end. the background's pretty simple on this one. You know, it wasn't anything groundbreaking, but it was received very well. The trilogy overall is received very well. However, I, I do think that people leave this series mostly focused on Holly Gibney, the character Holly. Well, I guess that segues into what I wanted to ask next, which were like, what are your general thoughts? Mm -hmm. What's like your Steve Gudalunas impression of the book? Yeah. One, did you like it? Mm -hmm. Did you not like it? If so, why? Two, um, tell me what some of your own thoughts, meditations are about it. I really enjoyed this book. It grossed me out more than any Stephen King book yet. More than Misery? Yeah, way more. All the mom sexual stuff is it's, pretty rough. Yeah, you know, for me, body horror is not a thing uh, most of the time. I don't, I don't get, but the mom-son sex stuff is fucking vile. Like, it's vile. That and, that and just like somebody, like, like serial killers in general, like, it's just vile. Like, I just, I don't, I'm not one of those people that loves taking in a serial killer story. Now, I, I, I love a survivor story to be honest, but like, I don't have a fascination with these kids. Like he's just a sad fucking white boy piece of shit who wants to fuck his mom. And it's just like that, those pieces of it and her being like the willingness of it and the whole, and I, you know, and don't get me wrong. Like I want to talk more about this later. I, I feel for Brady in certain ways because of his upbringing. I mean, he was destined, he was fucked from the beginning. The book in of itself, couldn't put it down, couldn't stop reading it. It's action-packed. It's thrilling. It is literally a thriller. I wanted to know what happened with each character. As, to, as grossed out as I was by Brady, I couldn't put the book down. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's a compelling villain. I completely agree with all you of that. You know what I mean? Um, and, and we get a cartet again. So I was like, no, like knowing that, like knowing that seeing Jerome and then you meet Holly and, and you're like, well, it's Janie at first. And then really the true content is with Holly. It, it, that piece of it, because it brought me right back to the dark tower. Um, it, I found myself w wanting to read more and I'm glad that it, there's a trilogy. Awesome stuff, dude. Yeah. I love everything that you said. I'm not going to lie, Misery nearly shook me off of Stephen King entirely. Yeah. Like I floated with Steve not doing the podcast yeah, anymore. I know. We or I, flo I floated even, should we not do Stephen King books if <laughs> we are doing the podcast? Like I, I was, Misery broke me a little bit. Hard pass on this end. Yeah. <laughs> Hard pass. Steve thankfully talked me out I was of like, all nah, of those things. You know? But I understand it. I understand it. We're, we're a little bit freakish. For, for doing these back-to-back. -back. I mean, the one thing about King that is true is he's not going to allow you to have an easy time. Well, here's the thing, though. Mr. Mercedes, I'm back, baby. Oh, dude. It's, I am so in on this I, book. Hard. I loved it. <laughs> I, it I, I agree with everything that you said, too, that the Brady mother stuff, which I do want to talk about, Ugh. what I think that is symbolizing and means, yeah. which I know Stephen King would hate that I'm going to do, but I definitely want to do it. And I think there, there are some interesting symbolisms there with Brady and with the mom that I think are worth extrapolating, mm -hmm. but we'll get to character analysis. Yep. My general impression of this book was page burner. Burner. 
burner, dude. I we read this, it in three weeks. I read this book so quickly. Six hundred page book. We read it in three weeks. I think. <laughs> did I actually? No, I had a I had a day where I went off work a little early to watch my son. Yeah, his daycare closed because of bad weather. That's right. He put on a trolls movie. You're like, fuck it, I'm reading, and I'm just like. And I just sat there for two hours and I finished the book. So first time I think in a long time, maybe ever that I finished before you. Yeah. Yeah. But you were right there. Oh yeah. The yeah. I was not far behind the next day, day and a half later yeah. because we were at a similar point, but I just had the two hours to, yeah, burn the to just read it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what this book was like. I've got two hours. I need to know what's going to happen. Yeah. I think um, of the many things about this book that I loved, I loved that it starts and it just goes. I love the momentum and the mm -hmm. feel. This is like a 600 page book. That Doesn't feel that way. Felt like a 300 page uh, book. A hundred percent. And that is a true testament to great writing. Mm -hmm. I was so invested in the characters as we met them, whether rooting for or rooting against. Sure. And I felt that this was another book where Stephen King nailed the characters threw them in a meat grinder, and then saw what came out. And I had this weird reaction when it was over that I was like, I don't know if I like this ending. I didn't feel like I enjoyed it. I was feeling a little like, this doesn't satisfy me. Mm. And I sat there for a minute and I told my wife, you know, Laurel, I don't think I liked the ending. I just don't think it did it for me. She's like, what was it? And I'm like, struggling to find the words, then I realized, I don't think this story's over. Yeah. I think I didn't like the ending because to me, I don't think it ended. Yeah. I felt like the ending was a beginning mm. and which is like the perfect groundwork for a trilogy. And the, also the fact that I can't wait to see what happens to these characters next. Yeah. And it, it's also feels a lot like his dark tower plot. You know, the ending leads back to another beginning. I love that, dude. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. 100%. Things are going around full circle. Bill is a detective again. Mm -hmm. And like Roland, we'll get to Dark Tower thing, but just throw this out there. Like Roland, who initiates people into the way of the guns. That's right. Bill is initiating people into the way of the detective. And knows that it's dangerous. And knows that he's putting them directly in harm's way, but that's what Ka wants. I mean, it's that's the thing, that in order for them to stop Brady, it needs all three of them. All right, so you mentioned Roland, Ka, should we do Dark Tower? Yeah, next? let's do, do it. Do you want to do let's that? Because we're like, we're on that subject. We might as well. All right, so big question for you. Where do you think Ka is in this book? And for those of us just joining, maybe you do or do not know the Dark Tower, Ka is... Stephen King's fate. Mm -hmm. It is this force. He calls it a wheel. Sometimes he calls it wind. Mm -hmm. It comes in like a wind and blows down whatever it wants or a wheel that turns and you always end up in the place where you began. But it's this cosmic sense that kind of can drive things. Mm -hmm. Where do you think Ka is in this book? Well, I think it's very present for a lot of reasons. I think we have, like I mentioned, I think we have another quartet. We have a group of people who are chasing after a man in black type figure, unhinged, um, you know, sexually perverted, um, 
a, a serial killer, you know, a mass murderer, someone who, who from a very, very young age was fine with murder, you know? And I think it's, it feels persistent because of the pace of the book. I don't know about you, but anytime I read a book that Ka is present, very present, I burn through the book. I burn through it. That's, that's what it feels like to me. The books, maybe it's because I'm a Taoist and not a Stephen Kingist. Maybe it's because when I feel the connection to the tower, I, I, I can't help, like an addict, <laughs> like I can't help but take it in. But I felt it's been a while since the tower's been so prevalent like it is in this book. Tell me more. Well, okay, so in what, so for example, I, I will, I will kind of, for the Dark Towerist out there listening, and if you're listening, I assume you are, Insomnia is a book where Roland is mentioned by name. Right. It's a book where the Crimson King, who is one of the big bads of mm -hmm. the Dark Tower, is literally in the book. Patrick Danville, who's a character in the Dark Tower, originates in the Dark Tower, I think, or maybe originates in Insomnia. I don't remember. I've got to check the timeline. Mm -hmm. Is in there drawing a picture of Roland, and Patrick Danville ultimately is the one who defeats the Crimson King. That's right. So I feel like that is a book so deeply connected to the Tower, a very good book. Yeah. But one that took me was not as enjoyable as Mr. Mercedes. And and realistically, if you're not reading the Tower, it it's an it's an okay book. You know? I think that that book held me like you because of the Tower references. This could stand on its own. But this book, which stands on, I think does, but you say you burn through it because you felt the, like, what does it mean to feel the connection of the tower to you in Mr. Mercedes? So for me, the connection to the tower always starts with the Katep, always, because me being in a, like, serial extrovert, you know, an idea of a group needing to rely on one another to take down the big bad, whatever that might be, to conquer evil. To me, that's always resonated. It, it, my love of comic books, my love of comic book teams, my love of comic book mashups as a kid, my love of team sports, this idea, my work, everything I do as a musician, literally, I mean, in my own job at work, everything is about coexisting and forming and working with a team to achieve a goal. And so for me, when the Cotet is present, it's like, you know, when these three people, or whatever it might be, the Losers Club, but in this case, three people are together, working together, they're fucking unstoppable. They're unstoppable. And there's nothing that Ka can do to break that bond, no matter what Ka throws at that group. Now, they might die, they might lose each other, you know what I mean? Like, you know, Bill goes down with a heart attack, right? There's always going to be a challenge, but as long as that core group sticks together in, in theory, in idea, in practice, you know, it's going to come out. So to me, that's the, the very first piece of it. I love that so much. I connect so hard to the theme of Katet. In fact, Steve and I have a group thread about where we used to live yeah. when we were neighbors <laughs> with that address. So I don't want to say it on the internet, but our old address that says, Old address, Cotet. Yeah. And we just, that were the Cotet. I, I think that's a really good way to not only talk about what made this book so resonant to the Dark Tower, mm -hmm. but also what made this book so enjoyable was this sort of 
slow, like if this book is not slow, but if there's a slow burn, the slow burn is the formation of the real quartet. Yeah. The real group. Because for a while there, it is Bill and Janie, and then sometimes Bill with Jerome. Yep. And sometimes Bill with his ex-partner at the force, but not so much. And then it's just like, sadly, Janie gets blown up, which is, I do want to talk about that too. Oh, absolutely. So Janie dies, and then it becomes Bill, Jerome, and Holly. And that was the point at the book where I'm like, I'm not putting this down. Yep. Because I did feel the spirit of Roland, Susanna, and Eddie. And it's three people. It's three people who are wildly different, come from wildly different places, socioeconomically, socially. Fucking I, I mean, look look at the difference between Holly and Jerome. I mean, Jerome's a 17-year-old kid who is miles more mature and socially ahead than almost 50-year-old Holly Gibney. But when they come together. And especially with Bill, you know, the one thing I didn't want in this book was to spend the entire time watching an old washed-up detective become a sort of washed-up detective again. I was really hoping, like, I I could sense early on that we were going to get a group effort, and I'm glad that we landed with the Cotet. Because I love Bill Hodges, but he's certainly not my favorite character in this book. But that gives me one of the biggest themes of the book which is passing the torch from one generation to, to the, the next. next. That's a big theme in this book. It, it recurs with uh, Bill, Holly, and uh, Jerome. Jerome. Mm-hmm. It is also about uh, Brady, who is railing against all of these things that he thinks are like holding him back, oh, all sure. of the older people. So he steals an older person's car. He hates the older person detective. Yep. You know, and he hates everyone. Like, he is a true sociopathic serial killer. But he is also a representation of this, I think what Stephen King is saying, this, like, new, you mentioned this, like, twisted white guy in a basement with a computer who wants to hurt people. Yep. I think that is a big theme in this, I think. And that theme is about this new generation being somewhat twisted and demented and how technology makes that worse for them, so, not better. Yeah, it's the modern-day terrorist. Yeah. is the white guy in his basement on a computer. Well, not all terrorists are No, there. no, no, no. But you know what for, I mean. For the record, we're recording this for the internet. <laughs> yes. But you there know what I mean. There are plenty that are. There are plenty that are. But you <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Like that, that feeling of, and, and it, it reminds me of the man in black also because of just how twisted and demented Brady is. And then at one point in time, soulless and emotionless. You know, interesting that you say that because I feel like Brady to date for a Stephen King villain is rather unique. Mm. Um, I, I've struggled with relating to previous villains because so the man in black, Randall Flagg, Pennywise the Clown. Oh, yeah. I don't think they're the same person. No, no, no. But they enjoy the chaos that they create, mm. right? Mm. To them, they see themselves, they they love their life. Yeah. Brady is deeply unhappy. He is. Brady wants to die. He does. Right? Like, and he's just like, I just take out as many of these other humans that I hate along with me. But there is one moment when he's in the car where he he thinks about blowing the Mac up, the, the art center, and he rips his head back 
And it, Stephen King explains, and he cackles. He can't stop laughing. He's, he reminds me of the Joker. He's just, just in that moment is where I'm like, oh, he's, oh, he's got twinges. And you know, that's a good point too. When his mom finally dies from the poison, mm -hmm. there's a moment there too where he just starts to laugh. He just laughs. He thinks it's funny. Yeah. The irony of it. He thinks it's hilarious. And then puts his mom in a fucking bed. Uh, dude, dude, I, that whole thing. <laughs> like, I will, I'm a freak, so I will never stop reading this shit, no matter how crazy it gets. But that, that's, that stuff was disturbing, bro. All right, so before we get into that, yeah. I'm going to give you some of my tower points. Yes, please, please, please. Um, I, I think there is, I think you're right. I think the tower is pulsating mm. through this book. Yeah. So I'll read a quote. This is the first one I want to pick out, reference to the tower. He finds himself thinking of Donald Davis, who has confessed to killing not only his wife, but five other women at rest stops along the highways of the Midwest. Soon the handsome Mr. Davis will be in the state or he will no doubt spend the rest of his life. Hodges has seen it all before. He's not so naive to believe that every homicide is solved, but more often than not, murder does out. Something, a certain wifely body in a certain abandoned grave pit, for instance, comes to life. It's as if there's a fumbled, figured, but powerful universal force at work, always trying to put things wrong to right. The detectives assigned to a murder case read reports, interview witnesses, work the phones, study forensic science, and wait for that force to do its job. Mm. To me, that's the white. Yeah. That's 100%. the tower. Yep. Like he is like, hey, a really good detective channels the tower. Remember that chapter in the Dark Tower where Stephen King goes like, for every baby that could have been sick that yep. doesn't die, yep. it's the tower. Right. For every airline person who could have turned right and crashed the plane but turned left and lands it, that's, that's the, the tower. tower. Yeah. Like to me, like that's the first time in that book, and maybe the only time that directly references the dark tower. Yeah. Um, and I thought like that's the white. <clears throat> That is a force that exists mm -hmm. in so much of Stephen King. It's in Salem's lot. It's in everything. When, it's it's when, in so much of it. When Callahan channels the white, yeah. you know, like, so I feel like that's there. Um, so Hodges picks up his father's gun, looks into the barrel and puts it down on the TV guide. Yeah. The 38 revolver belongs yep. to his father. It's a Smith & Wesson. Yep. It's a cowboy gun. Mm -hmm. That is very Dark Tower. It doesn't, it, it never jams. Yep. It, That's why he uses it, because it never jammed. Ugh. Um, so Bill mentions with his old partner that there's a little bit of telepathy between them. Yes. So I'll give you the quote. Uh, Bill, you don't even need to ask. You want me to bring Isabel? He doesn't, but says, if you want. Some of the old telepathy must be working. Because after a brief pause, Pete says, maybe we'll make it a stag party this time. Yeah, yeah. So he mentions that the detectives have a little bit of telepathy between them, which well, then, reminds me of the touch. And then there's Holly. Just period. Uh, yes. I think I have a quote there with Holly where I thought showed. But yes, we will. Let's get to that. Yeah, we'll save her. Uh, let's see. I'm just double checking my notes. 
All right, so here's the next one. This is, I don't remember why I where this is in the book, mm-hmm. but I highlighted when you heard hoofbeats, you don't think zebras. And the reason I, I love that line <laughs> is it feels like something Roland would quote yeah. from court. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, sure, sure, um, sure. I like that. So what is this? I'm Hold on, my notes are not <laughs> What did working. I write? I just highlighted the word surprise and put wizard in glass. All right, that's not a very good note. <laughs> um, yeah, so that is... Surprise! Yeah, that is not a very good note. So let me go back to it. Oh, this one. Okay. So Aunt Charlotte, Holly's mother. Yes. So I'll read this quick quote. Aunt Charlotte's lips thinned almost to nothing. Yeah. Looms up behind her daughter. I've had just about enough of your gasps and vapors for one day, miss. Man, she reminds me of of Aunt Cordelia from Wizard and Glass. Absolutely. Especially the way like Stephen King like describes how her lips become a line. How she's got this daughter. Now Aunt Cordelia, it's a niece, but just like can't see her value, constantly is writing everyone. Cares what everybody thinks. Aunt Cordelia sucks. Yes, Aunt Cordelia. So does Aunt Charlotte. She sucks too. All right, so this is just another one I noted. Um, The quote is, he sees she's playing an updated version of Pitfall, a cruder version of which fascinated his daughter Allison a quarter of a century before. This is when Bill Hodges, I'm pausing the quote, Uh is talking at the... um, electronic store yeah. and talking to Brady's lesbian coworker. Right. I forget her name off right. the top of my head. Right before the and climax. Then, and then he thinks, Bill Hodges, everything that goes around comes around. Hodges thinks a Zen concept for sure. I mean, that just was like, he's just saying Ka's a wheel there. Yeah. Yep. And that, that idea of Ka being a wheel does come from Zen Buddhism. Yeah. And then, uh, let's see any other, I mean, not not directly, mm-hmm. not from what I can uncover from my own brain. Oh, I can tell here's, you that my, here's my Holly quote. I just found it. Yes. So this is very much towards the end of the book, and then Holly, um, Bill, and Jerome are on the case, and then Holly just says, shut up and drive. Mr. Hodges is doing the best he can on their way to try to stop Brady from blowing up the Mac. So here's the quote. The truth is, she doesn't really want me to reach anyone, Hodges thinks, because it's supposed to be us and only us. That's right. Pause to quote, to catch Brady, unpause. Mm -hmm. A crazy idea comes to him that Holly is using some weird psychic vibe to make sure it stays them and only them. And it might. Based on the way Jerome's driving, They'll be at the Mac before Hodges is able to get a hold of anyone in authority. Yeah. And in this, Bill is kind of channeling this sort of detective psychic bond. She's got the touch. Also is a resonant of that. She's got the touch. Yep. So here's another quick quote. The gun Hodges gave him in his pocket. It feels heavy and weirdly warm. Other than the air rifle he had when he was nine or ten, a birthday present given to him despite his mother's reservations. He has never carried a gun in his life. And this one feels alive. Yeah. And that's yep. when Jerome pockets yeah. Bill's Smith and it's a Wesson. Gunslinger. And it's and it's interesting, you know, 
there are some parallels to Bill and Roland as well. Uh, you know, people who have had rocky relationships in the past, who think they're better off by themselves, you know, have a, a hard exterior, who really, at the end of the day, when they find a group of people that they connect, like, truly, I, I do believe that he loves Jerome, mm-hmm. and I do believe that he's come to love Holly by the end of this book. And he loves Janie, certainly. Oh, yeah. without any question. I mean, I think, you know, we had talked early on in this book about their relationship, Janie and Bill, and that, you know, you had thought, oh, it, it, felt, it felt fast, and it did. And then I thought about it. I was like, well, you know, he's a man in his 60s. He's retired. He never thought this would happen. They're also Katet. They're meant to be together. And then Ka rips her from him. <laughs> it, 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 it just reminds me, it, for, for a lot of reasons, their demeanor, the circumstances that they go through, Bill, Hodges, and Roland... Are, uh, and Roland DeShane are very, very similar, if you ask me. Also, towards the end of book uh, six and seven of The Dark Tower, when Susanna's looking at Roland, she's constantly thinking about how old he looks. How old, yeah, because he does. He ages in that book. And this is something that Bill, everyone that looks at him, is just like, hey, he's so old, but Janie sees something in him and I do think you're right that their connection is very strong. They very much do fall in love. I mean, it, you know, I know sometimes in a romantic setting, in a, in a novel, in a film, in a song, that a connection like that happening so quick can feel unearned or it can feel disingenuous. But... As you keep reading, their, their connection is so palpable. That whole little moment that they have with each other where he says, he responds, yeah. And she just very curtly looks at him and goes, yeah. Nips at him just that little bit. You know, those little things that we do with the person that we love the most that you just, it's, it's your version of cat and mouse. And I think the two of them... You know, Stephen King does have a knack for being able to set up relationships very quickly. And in a world where we can be cynical about relationships sometimes, it's like, oh, yeah, oh come on. Are they going to really fall in love that quickly? Well, in this scenario, yeah. I just forgot what floor is the condo on where Bill and Janie end up meeting after Olivia's death. Is it the 19th floor? It's the 19th floor. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. By the way, Olivia yeah. Trelawney. Trelawney. Harry Potter reference? 100%. It's got to be. It has to be. It's 2014. It's way after the books are written. He, he, we have talked about it on this podcast because it's in the fucking Dark Tower. We've talked about how much he loves Harry Potter and respects that, and respects that writing. It's 100%. When have you seen Trelawney right? outside of fucking Harry it's, Potter? It's got to be. And, and come on. But that's also a weird way. It's a tower reference, Ex- too. God, because Derek Harry Jones. Potter is in the tower. God damn it, dude. Yeah. So we were just like, oh, we talk about this all the time. Derek always has a way of bringing up tower references that, like, I just, I. Mr. Can't Do Fine Motor Skills 
good at Lunas. You know, everything's you broad were, you motor. Were great, you were great at fine motor skills. Thank you very much. But my broad strokes, my broad takes, you know, as I like to put it, you find these such minuscule, but they're, they're such big connections. Like that one right there. That makes total sense. Yeah, man. All right, so uh, let's, let's, let's get into some... I don't know if anybody knows this or not, but I love the Dark Tower. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have a Dark Tower tattoo. So let's, let's get into some character analysis. Yeah, let's do it. If it's cool with you, I would like to start with Brady, and let's do the, the worst first. Yeah, might as well. Get that piece of shit out of the way. I do think there's some interesting things in, in the Brady character. So, one... I couldn't help thinking how much he's like Norman Bates oh, from sure. Psycho. Hmm? Norman Bates has a hotel. His mother dies. His mother gets put into a bed. He has a bizarre relationship with his mother where mm -hmm. he dons her clothes and he kills women in the vein that his mother is keeping right. these women away from him. So there's this like very dark psychosexual mother serial killer vibe. And I brought up Ed Gein before, who was a real life serial killer who, who also had some weird things with his mom and they're, they're, they're similar. Ed Gein was a lot worse, but, but they're similar. Yeah. So this brings me to a thought from Jerome. He says this on the Kindle app at page 250, any system created by the man, the mind of men can be hacked by the mind of man. Mm. You feel me? And I thought that's an interesting thesis statement to that because one, he's talking about the systems that keep us safe, such as a lock on a car, right. the police, mm -hmm. the government, um, all the technology that we take for granted. He's like, hey, we made it. It can be manipulated and broken by man. Right. But Brady is also a creating this Mr. Mercedes psychological system mm -hmm. that can also be broken. And so I feel like if we look at Brady, Brady is like a lot of great villains in modern cinema, the embodiment of the Oedipal complex. A hundred percent. Now Sigmund Freud said the Oedipal complex was we go through a psychosexual stage of development mm -hmm. as men mm -hmm. where we, we wish harm upon our father so that we could dominate the love of our mother and that we do this as infants. So as infants, we psychologically, subconsciously wish our father was out of the way so that all we could get was the love of the mother so we could possess the mother. This is made famous um, by the play by Sophocles mm -hmm. called Oedipus Rex, mm -hmm. where Oedipus trying to uh, undo a prophecy that he would kill his father and have sex with his mother ends up all of his attempts to undo the prophecy, make them come mm -hmm. to pass where he unknowingly kills his father, marries his father's widow, and then has children with his mother. <laughs> I think if we look at Brady, there was a father who was taken very suddenly by what electricity or mm -hmm. lightning, mm -hmm. e.g. struck down by the gods. So now he's in this surrogate role as the older son, as the new man of the household. Mm -hmm. And there is a problem, the disabled brother of Frankie, and then the mother and Brady conspiring together oh, yeah. to murder Frankie by, it seems, you know, it's, 
the way that's written, it seems very mutual to me that they both are like the Brady's mom and Brady are in lockstep and they're like, okay, it's time to do this. It's time oh, to yeah. kill Frankie. Oh, 100%. And killing Frankie, I think that both in Brady's childhood mind elevates him to godhood. Mm -hmm. He is better than everyone. He looks down on everyone. Mm -hmm. Everyone is his plaything. Mm -hmm. He can do what he wants to them, but it also permanently locks him in that state of childhood sure. where he will never mature to be an actual real grown self-actualized man, yeah. which is why he wants to die as a teenage young man. He's not a teenager, but as a young man, yeah. why he wants to kill himself. Cause he knows he can't grow beyond what he is right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the way that Brady uses technology is the way that he is trying to like, he's using magic like he is the man in black, like he is Pennywise to manipulate everything around him so that he can get his pleasure and his fun mm -hmm. out of all of these other play toys. That's right. And I think understanding Brady as the embodiment of both Oedipal complex, stunted psychosexual growth, but also at the same time that he views himself as the magician of the modern age. Mm -hmm. He sees the technology is his birthright to godhood. And he likes to use that to manipulate anything and everything around him so that he can put anything into the form of a game where he can torture like a little boy. He can torture the ant by ripping a leg off at a time. And Bill represents the person that he cannot one-up, mm -hmm. which is why that drives him because Bill will not play in his game in his nope. sandbox. Nope. What does he do? I'm going to take my toys and go home. Mm -hmm. So instead of challenging Bill anymore, he's like, you know what? I'm just going to punish Bill by murdering a bunch of teeny boppers. You know, because I'm going to take my toys and go home. Okay, I can't beat Bill. Bill is unbeatable. He won't play by my rules. So what am I going to do? I'm just going to, I did this once when I was playing Risk, and my friends always joke about it to this day, <laughs> I was playing Risk, and I was really involved. I was convinced I was going to win. I'm like 13, 14 at this point in my life, and two of my friends conspire behind my back and wipe me out. Mm. And this was at my house, Oh, and you know what I did? Kicked them out. Oh, I flipped the board yep. and said... Get out of my house. Uh -huh. And uh, I feel like Brady's decision to go attack the boy band concert at the Mac is a decision that we can understand as, okay, I'm taking my toys and going home and I'm going to rub it in his face as much as I can. So I wanted to punish my friends for beating me mm -hmm. by being like, get out of my home. And that is what Brady is doing. He's such a fucking pipsqueak he's just a little adolescent sad boy who fucking like and you know and a lot of it is his mother's doing i mean his mother took advantage of him at a very early age to murder his brother i don't know if i agree with that really i read that more that they're complicit I do think that they're to, complicit, like, but 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 like I, I read that more that they deserve each other. But think about yourself as a parent, right? Like there's just there's a part of me that you're not wrong. 
Like, yes, I do think they made that decision mutually. But I don't think Brady would have done it without the approval of his mother. You remind, let me remind you, he kicks Brady down the stairs. Or Frankie. Mm-hmm. Or he kicks he Frankie does. down the he stairs. He does. He, he looks, he's there ready to kick, and he looks at his mom. His mom goes, go ahead, kick him. Yeah, it's, they're both fucking insane. Yeah. They're insane. I, the fact that she fucking, I'm sorry. And listen, for anybody listening to this, I just want to put a trigger warning out there for, for anyone with sexual assault or anyone who has trauma around sexual abuse. Please, trigger warning. The fact that she jerks him the fuck off to get rid of his fucking headaches. Dude, the the whole situation, that whole thing, it's like, you know, Brady's all, he's destined for this, man. There's like no, there's there's no escape in this for him. There's, it, it, it starts from such an early fucking age. You know, so like part of it to me in, in, in the Ka conversation is that if Ka is a wheel and it, and it, perpetually turns then like is Brady always destined to be this person did was there any fucking hope for him I I don't think so I think I think King is communicating that Brady from a very early age is a fucking sociopath was on the path to become a killer and all of the events surrounding that Mm -hmm. did nothing but help perpetuate that yeah and, and then re- his mother continuing to perpetuate it. But you don't become a serial killer by accident, right? No, like, no, you don't. Not at all. At it's on least, purpose. At yeah. least in the Stephen King world. You know, it might mm-hmm. be Ka, but there's also going to be this immense amount of dysfunction in the family yeah. Yeah. that predates the serial killer sure. of the son. Sure. And I, the way that I read it is that Mother and son were two peas of the same pod. Yeah, the, it, the way yeah. that I read that, I did not read that that we should we should blame her in in anything else. I think Brady, the way I read it, is yeah. Brady's manipulating the situation to get what he wants, mm, which mm. is sole possession of his mom, mm-hmm. which is making her life easier so she could care for him by getting rid of this thing that's dragging them down. Now, I do recognize that Brady, once he becomes, you know, in his adult self, is close to physically adult, if not stunted psychologically as a boy, you know, I do think he comes to really wish Frankie was around. Yeah, and I, I think I think ultimately his, he hates his mother for it eventually, too. Yeah, and I think that is, a th- like, I do think he has regret. He also has regret, even though he laughs when his mom dies, yep. he's not... He did not want his mom to die. So do I think there's a possible world where Brady gets a healthy family and isn't a serial killer? Yes. Yeah, it's on some other level of the tower. But do I think that possible world, Brady is still a son of a bitch? Yes, I do. Mm. Like, I don't think there's a world where Brady's not a son of a bitch. He's a freaking son of a bitch. He's a piece of shit. He's an asshole. He's a piece of shit. Even if he's not a serial killer, he's the guy that, like, I don't like having him around. You know, it's also crazy that this story is about him, you know, running a a car into a group of people when that not too long ago happened in our actual reality. I know, man. You know? Stephen King, the precursor to terrorists and mass destruction, 
I mean, insomnia is about a terrorist taking a, a plane into a building before mm -hmm. 9-11. Mm -hmm. And then here we have Mr. Mercedes, which is now a thing that terrorists do. That they happens, get cars yeah. mm -hmm. and they try to drive them into crowds. And you know, one of the things that struck me in this book too, uh, just, just to talk on this topic for a second, is, you know, I think before having a child... I would have been like, oh, you know, that concert, like, yeah, that, that, would be, that would be devastating. And then thinking about it, like, thinking about attacking the most innocent group of people, you, you have to be one sick motherfucker, man. Well, and Stephen King is a father writing this stuff. Yeah. Think about that, too. <laughs> Dude, he's, I, I do he's so fucked up. We I, talked about this. Like he, he's fucked up, man. I do agree. Like being a dad and just being like, man, my kid would want to go to a concert like that. It's different now. Like I, I think, I think about, you know, living in a world and in America where mass shootings are so common of, of needing to, you know, even now, like thinking about going to a place like Citizens Bank Park, like going to a Phillies game and thinking about, okay, where are the exits? If somebody brought a gun, where am I going to get Frankie? Where am I going to get Rebecca? Where are we going to hide? You have to think about that shit now. You do. I, I, like, I, and if you're not, I guess props to you, but like, when I walk into a crowded place now, I got to think about those fucking things. Well, I think the reality is, and this is the world Stephen King is writing this book in, is that we are all more sensitive to the prospect of terrorism, mass mm -hmm. shootings, mm -hmm. all of the, the terrible things mm -hmm. that could happen at any time because that has become the world we live in. It's our reality. And yeah. I, I, I think, to me, psychologically, maybe Stephen King is working this out in writing books like this sure. about a lone, you know, terribly messed up young white man who gets radicalized into violence I mean, a story we have seen a lot of times. Mm -hmm. For mm -hmm. me, I know that like I need to be conscious of that, but I, there's still a part of me that's just like, if I succumb to the worldview yeah. that yeah. nothing is safe ever, I have, quote, let the terrorists win. Unquote, well, I, you know, like there's yeah. still a part of me that's just like, yeah. you know what? I'm going to go to a, bis a baseball game. I'm going to go to a movie theater. I still enjoy it. And- I'm going to go to the wherever I want to go. Yeah. And I'm not going to be afraid someone's going to kill me. Today. You know what's funny? I, yes. Yes. And old theater trick. <laughs> yes. And I still think about where the exits are. Oh yeah. No, you, you, do, need, you do need to do but that. But while yes. I'm, while yes. I'm in the event, I'm not aware of it. Cause you're enjoying because whatever enjoying the event it. is. But, yeah. But I, more often than not now in the last two years, I've, I've, I'll tell you now, I've definitely thought about, about it since Frankie's been around more than I ever did. And that's one of the scariest things about this book is that yeah. Brady feels so like someone we went to high school because with. Because he Doesn't is. He? Doesn't he? He is. This is the whole point. This is the whole point about these serial killers. They're people we know. They're your everyday boring fucking ice cream truck guy. Like it, it, it is that possible? They're not a. Vi it's crazy. They're not a villain from a novel. No, they're a guy that works at fucking Best Buy that drives around and fixes your computer, and that's how they get the key to your car. 
to fucking run over a group of people during a recession. Also something I thought was very interesting. I think Stephen King has such a knack at, at like perfectly framing the decade that he's writing in or oh, about. Great call out, man. And that's a good transition place right there because this is a book about a time during the Great Recession. And you can fucking feel it. And like we somewhat forget about that now. I do. I mean, I was, a, I was 19, 20 years old. I didn't have any fucking money to begin with. You know what I mean? My parents felt it. You know, old, uh, folks I knew felt it hard. Yeah, man. Everyone really, in one way or another, was affected by it to some degree. And, like, we kind of memory hold that because yeah. so many things and crazy things have happened since then. Mm -hmm. But there was a time where every single, like, company in the world was laying off everyone. No one had any money. There was, they called it the Great Recession. Mm -hmm. And I always thought that's, like, Okay, so that's just what a small depression, right? Like, what is a great recession? I mean, that's what other it than felt branding, like. right? I mean, that's what it felt. like. It was an economic depression brought on by a whole host of things that are definitely not the purview of this this podcast. Nor would I say am I really <laughs> no, qualified to speak about. Not, a, I, I'll speak about it, but doesn't mean I'm qualified. I, exactly. Yes, I <laughs> could speak about it, but I'm not going to record that for the. I internet. don't even know if I'm qualified to speak about Stephen King, but I do it anyway. <laughs> no, you are definitely qualified. You've read enough, you know. But like we forget about that time, yeah, and that that time was a time of suffering mm -hmm. and misery. Mm -hmm. And where did people retreat to? It was the start of retreating to technology and mistrust around it too. I mean, not long after that, you know, you had, you know, the tapping of phone lines, and like we we didn't know if we could trust our government with our own internet. Like so much mistrust started around that time that led us to where we are now. And that's part of why I love this book is because it reminded me of, it's one of the first times that Stephen King's gone into the past, but he's gone into my, my past. past. And you can it's, feel it. Yeah. You can feel, it's palpable. You're like, man, fuck, I remember what it was like to be in a major city in 2008, 2009. Which was a big draw of it for people that were of my mom's age. Exactly. Because they're like, oh my God, that feels like my child I played. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. you know, and yeah. people were reliving that, but yeah. through this horror landscape, this was like, hey, I'm reliving the Great Depression, but through this murder mystery. So it's the first time Stephen King has written about my past, and I thought that was, that was an interesting and another reason why I love the, 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 the book. Well, and you know, the other thing I've, I've never brought up about him, but like Stephen King, even though he writes fiction, he, he feels like, like, a, like one of America's historians. In a, in a weird way, okay, so I've studied You're history a, and I are, hate that. I hear you. But the, the Wheel it's of Cobb poetry in my heart loves it. So from an artist so I, standpoint. I, I hate it and I love it. Well, and, and, and I respect that. From an artist standpoint, what I mean by that is he is able, maybe I should rephrase that. Let me rephrase it. Let me not use historian and let me use mythologist. Because I think he uh, at least... And again, we have, a lot of, we have a lot of different listeners from a white, hetero, male perspective in America, which is what he's writing from. He does such a brilliant job of encapsulating what it is to be an American 
in the time that he's writing. And he just, if, if, if a thousand years from now, some human being goes back and wants to study 19th, 20th century America through fiction, I would tell them to read Stephen King. I completely agree with that statement. And I think... I'm sorry I broke you a little bit. No, no, dude, you're fine. <laughs> dude, no, I'm... With I'm, the historian I'm like, piece. I, I am unbreakable. Strong. I am unbreakable. So not, not true, I can break. But Adam that did not, did not break me um, in any literal way. Good. So that being stated, there's a reason why... So Homer, right, who mm-hmm. wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey. Mm-hmm. He wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey um, during what are, what's called the Archaic Greek Age. This is roughly around like 600 BC. It's been a while, so I pulled that date right out of my memory. So, <laughs> but like, so that could be off. But he wrote it during the Archaic Greek Age, and he was writing about the Iliad and the Odyssey take place during the Bronze Age or Mycenaean mm-hmm. Greek Age, mm-hmm. which is about 1200 BC. Mm-hmm. Again, pulling these dates, don't have any notes on this, so those dates could be more and off. But there's like about a 500, 800 year gap or somewhere in between that. So you read the Iliad and the Odyssey. It's about the Bronze Age Greeks, the Mycenaean Greeks. But if you are reading it from a historical lens, you say, what is Homer, who may or may not have even been the authors of these, what is Homer saying about the archaic Greeks? So the Iliad Mm -hmm. and the Odyssey, written during the Bronze Age, to a historian will tell you more about what it meant to be an archaic age Greek. Got it. Okay. Right. So he's writing more about his own time, which is establishing what it means to be a Greek Mm -hmm. versus a non-Greek establishing what it means to be a man Mm -hmm. versus any other creature on the planet. And that man, and this is definitely gendered, not women, Mm -hmm. man, men have the right to dominion over all. And the way they prove that is killing their enemy in battle, Mm. in the case of the Iliad, or outwitting the forces of fate and the gods in the case of the Odyssey. Mm -hmm. So about being the best warrior and very smart. Mm -hmm. If you can be those two things, you can be the perfect archaic Greek. But it says almost nothing about the Bronze Age, Bronze Age, Bronze Age Greeks. Why? Because mm-hmm. we know almost nothing about them. By the way, they didn't even speak Greek, from what we know. No the way. Greek language hadn't even been invented when the Bronze Age Greeks were it's pretty fucking around. Old. But to your point, what does Stephen King mean? Stephen King means more about what the age now than any of the histories that he might delve into Mm -hmm. or other worlds that Mm -hmm. he delves into. So if somebody is trying to understand what it means to be an American in our age, a really good gauge of that is what were they consuming? Mm -hmm. So who's the number one writer? Stephen King. Yeah. So Stephen King is a mirror into who we are now Mm -hmm. more so than anything else. I don't think Stephen King is shaping American thought. I think Stephen King is reflecting it. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree, which is why I amended that statement from being a historian to, to a mythologist, because I do think, like, anytime I read, it's like when we read 112263, like, I felt like I was back. I, I didn't grow up in the 60s, 
But from what I know, from the stories I've heard from my parents and grandparents, like it felt pretty palpable. <clears throat> and you're right that in this, in this book, it's like, holy shit, I remember 2009. I remember going to a job fair in 2009 in fucking King of Prussia. And there were, dude, there were hundreds, thousands, hundreds of people there. That was a crazy time. It really was, man. It <laughs> yeah. was a crazy time. All right. So what other characters I think we talked, I think we should talk about. I want to talk about at least two characters, at least briefly. One, I wanted to read this book <laughs> because I wanted to learn more about Holly Gibney. <laughs> I had not read any of the books with Holly Gibney. No. And there are many. And I'm like, I got to get to know this character that Stephen King wrote about. Yeah. But in this book, I th feel like this is Holly's origin story. Yes. She's not in most of it. Correct. The majority of the time she's in it in the first, like, 70% of the book, she's just on the periphery. And the only thing is that, like, she trusts Bill. And then she turns out to be a great <coughs> detective. In particular, she's a good foil to Brady in that she is more healthy in how she engages with technology, being different, being on the peripheral. Her mental struggles. Uh, not being mentally well. Mm -hmm. like And coming from a family with a dysfunctional mother for like a while, I thought that the, the parallel was Brady and Bill. Mm. Then I realized mm -mm. it's Brady and Holly. Yeah, Holly. Sure. You know, Holly is the opposite. Because Holly could easily have been, become what Brady is. Yes, but she's a woman. Exactly. I think that matters. Huge. She's not like a, like angry man who thinks I should dominate and control everything. That's right. She actually doesn't care about dominating and controlling anything. She wants to figure it out. It's a puzzle. Yeah, her aunt died. She liked her aunt, and she thinks Bill is nice. Honestly, so let's let's figure this out. I think of all three of them, she's the most gunslinger of the quartet. I mean, she does have the most gunslinger moment. She and and from moment one, she jumps in. Yeah, there's no trepidation. We're doing the right thing. We have to do this as a group. Something's telling me that. And then, yeah, she takes a sock full of fucking ball bearings and puts a dent into the side of fucking Brady's face. Dude, I'm going to tell you something. When, she, when that happens, I'm like, you can feel it. And I was like, okay, is it going to be Jerome or Holly? And when she just acts, she just acts, dude. That's what I love about her. It, it's, it, she is just, it's, you know what? This feels right. We're doing it. We're doing it. We're doing it. We're doing it. And she, she is infectious. Like she's only in a third of this book, and I feel like she's through the whole thing. And she quickly becomes to me the main character. A hundred percent. You know, and and it's building. She's more and more the main character as it goes and goes and goes. Yeah. And the fact that it is her, and King like foreshadows it'll be Jerome with how well the gun feels. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm like, oh well, it's Jerome's going to draw but the gun remember, and gunslinger this. But remember. He did the same thing with Eddie, naked, shooting in the scene. And then Susanna shows up and fucking throwing plates, and she's the most gun. Why? Because she's not afraid to act. I think it's interesting that, the, that, that for all of the talk that we've had with Stephen King, that he doesn't write women very well. In this book in particular, he has some very strong women 
and also some very flawed, very fucked up women. But between Janie and Holly, I mean, there's two, two of his most vibrant characters in this book. I, and I do think they come screaming off the page, and I, which is why I felt so unsatisfied with the end, because mm. I wanted more of Holly. Mm. And I know there is more of Holly, so I'm really excited to see more of, of this character. I love that Stephen King's doing detective stories. Yeah, I, see, I love a fucking cliffhanger. When they were like, when, and Brady wakes up, I was like, <gasps> and I put the book down. I think I immediately, I, I, I think I finished it, told you, and was like, hey, I'm, bu- I'm buying Finders Keepers, and I'm, I'm starting it now. Right, man, that's awesome. Now. All right, so should we talk about, do you want to talk about any other characters? I think we should talk about Bill, but before Yeah, Bill. we should talk about Bill. We should talk about Bill. I mean, Bill's the... Bill's the detective. I mean, Bill is the gunslinger. Bill is the Roland character. I freaking love Bill, man. Dude, he is so endearing. I love that character. I think that is, it is one of these moments where I am connecting with a character and being like, man, if I were a detective mm. and not what I do for my day job <laughs> and, and, I drank too much and was way too into my job Mm -hmm. and had a dysfunctional relationship with my wife and kid. I'm like, I felt like I felt so connected. I love Stephen King's grizzly older men that are a little broken inside. You, you do connect to them. them. You do. I love them so much. (laughs) I connect with them so hard and I really did connect like, and I love that, like, I loved how Bill at every, like, stage of the moment was just like, if I were a good cop, I would do this, this, and this. And he's just like, yeah, but I won't. Why? Because to me, this is about, this is bigger than the system. And I think, like, there are, there are systems in this book, technological systems. The law. The law. Uh, justice systems. There's how you get people in and out of a building. This is all about systems. And these are about two different characters relating like retirement age. That's a system called social security. Mm-hmm. You know, these are two different characters relating differently in these two different systems in Bill Brady. And we'll throw Holly in there as well. Cause Jerome's, Trump loves the system because he's going to go to Harvard. So, yeah. you know, like yeah. he's bought in. Yeah. Um, Holly, the mental health system, you know, um, and then uh, Olivia Tronley's mother, I forget her name, in mm-hmm. the like assisted living system, mm-hmm. all these characters in these systems. And the way that like Bill breaks out of it, which is not to say, I hate the system, burn it down, but he's just like, he wrote me the letter. All right. I'm going to have my plan to be in the system. We'll go to the lawyer if we have mm-hmm. to. We'll do this. And he keeps moving the goalpost. If this and this happens, then we're going to go to the cops. Mm-hmm. Then it happens. And he's just like, mm, we'll keep pushing it. Yep. And I love him slowly pushing the boundaries. And the way that he heals is to be not completely tied down to any system, even though he like respects he respects the law. Sure. He respects the police. Sure. He, he, he knows he has a duty to follow those things, but he is the most free 
when he is not just living by their rules, mm -hmm. but living next to them. Mm -hmm. And I thought that there's something like wonderfully American about that. Mm. Wonderfully like, you know, us American men all want to be like, we want to conquer the world. And when mm -hmm. we can't, let's burn it down like Brady, mm -hmm. you know? But like Bill teaches us a lesson being like, no, no, you could be right next to it. Mm -hmm. You could be close to it. And when you think it's wrong, fight it, Yep. you know? And like, don't like compromise your moral compass because being a cop was a little compromising to him. Sure. Why is that evidence? The way they treated Olivia. Once he's divorced from the system that says, you must blame everyone for everything. He can see a little clearer. He can see like, hold on. No, we were actually... We were pretty shitty. We were... We, we did her wrong. Mm -hmm. She's also a victim here. and we She maybe, might we still be alive if, if we did we, our job If better. we had treated it differently. Yeah. And yeah. maybe... Uh, this is the problems with the system. Call the cops that were stealing cars or investigating stolen cars, rather. Not the yep. ones stealing cars. Right. And then find out, oh, no, there is a way to steal a car so that it doesn't look like there's any um, foul play on yeah. breaking the lock. Yeah. You know, and so there's so many of these little things in the system he couldn't do. It's not till he's out of the system. Where he, he can actually can, do some good. Yeah, where he's just like, you know what? I'm just going to focus on writing one wrong. And I don't think Stephen King is saying, like, fuck the police. No. I don't. No. But I do think he's saying, hey, there are these systems of control, technological, spiritual, psychological, and that we can try to kind of manipulate within them to make our lives a little bit better. Absolutely. And for Bill, that is being an actual detective, not a police officer. And the other thing that Bill does is he trusts those who are younger than him. And, and really trusts what they are good at, you know, to understand if I need to put this full picture together, I can't just rely on what I know. I need to pull on these younger folks. And, and, and I think they make him less cynical throughout the book. I agree. And in the end, he gives them his weapons. That's right. Like he literally is passing the torch like, I'm dying of a heart attack. Please stop mass murder from happening. And they do. And she wallops the fuck out of that sick fucko. Ugh. And for Bill, it's not about control. It's about giving himself a reason to believe that the world's worth fighting for. And, right? you know, he is very good at his job. He is. And I think part of what makes him good at his job is recognizing the people he needs around him to achieve the goal. I think that's one of the things that makes him such a good detective. I'm such a good cop. Completely agree, man. Whereas his partner, eh, a little more selfish, a little more in it for himself as opposed to maybe the case or, or the folks around it. I completely agree with that. There are moments in the book where Bill's just like, yeah, my partner, I like him. He's a good guy. He's a good cop. But, you know, like, he misses this. He misses yeah. that. He, yeah. he doesn't get it. Yep. Right, man. What else do you want to say about this? I don't have anything else to say about this book. We're 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 in the we are reading Finders Keepers. <laughs> Literally, that's where we're at. Yeah, we're, I think we're gonna do unless we feel differently by the end of Finders Keepers. I think we're gonna do probably just finish this trilogy and maybe Outsider and Holly and complete yeah. all five Holly books. Why not? Why not? I like when it's a bigger project like that. I know. Too, I, I know. I know how you get. <laughs> It's why I love the Dark Tower. Give me it's the big. It's so good. But I love that there are five Holly Gibney books. It's and and he and the recent one I think is all about her. 
Yeah, it's called Holly. It's ho- called Holly, right? Yeah. 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 Knowing King, there's 30 other characters. Of course. But yes, it is called Holly. Yeah, of course. So we're reading Finders Keepers. We're both like 15, 20% mm-hmm. in whatever. Mm-hmm. We've just started it. Three it, days ago. It is a page turner. Again, yeah. So hopefully we'll do another Wheel of Ka really soon. Um, till next time, long days and pleasant nights. Long days and pleasant nights.